Hey, this is Nick Romolini, your friendly neighborhood displaced Italian American, and welcome to The, the Blank, Blank Page. Page. What do I want to talk about today? Well, first of all, subscribe if you can, review the show if you can on podcasts or Spotify, rate me, rate me, not rape me. I don't I don't even know if you're allowed to say that anymore. Not the Nirvana song that I don't know whether or not you're even allowed to say out loud as words anymore. But rate me if you can. I think that's supposed to help get more people to know that this thing exists somehow. So thanks for doing that. I do actually kind of know what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about my complicated relationship with social media. I want to talk about a couple things that people have said to me since I've began releasing these podcasts again. And I would like to discuss all of the things I wished I had said to that dad at the miniature golf course yesterday. But first, a quick message from stamps.com. Just kidding. But for, no, but for real, a quick message from MeUndies. No, I'm kidding. I don't mean that at all. Um, what? When's, When's he going to be serious? serious? But for real, if you want to hit me up on my Cash App or my Patreon. <laughs> I don't have that either. Anyway, okay. I'm getting serious now. You ready? Fucking serious mode. Okay. So. Now, nah, but for real, what is it though? Patreon? Patreon? All right, all right, all right, all right. So anyway, social media, right? So as some of you may know, I kind of go in and out. I'll be on Instagram for a little bit and then I'll just leave for a year. Facebook is kind of a different story. I feel like I haven't been on there in forever. But so now I have this podcast. And so I'm like, all right, I got to like, I got to promote it somehow or at least tell five people that it exists. So I've gotten back on Instagram to my personal profile. I have the photo profile that has like 10 followers and I'm following like 10 people. So it's really not much of a distraction, but I'm back on my main profile now so I could share the shit. So anyway, so the last time I was really engaged with my personal social media profile was like three or so years ago when I was like baking bread all the time and making pizza all the time from scratch and cooking a lot and posting all these videos about the stuff that I was doing. And I was also, you know, sharing my day to day life more and sharing videos of my kid and and just a lot of posts like that and getting a lot of really cool engagement. And it felt really good and satisfying to have some sort of human connection digitally because, you know, that's what I'm always after, is human connection, which you may or may not know. But that's what I fucking want, desperately. That's the whole rant about the neighbors. I just want to be connected to people. So at a certain point, I was like, oh my God, you're sharing way too much of your life on Instagram. Stop it. You got to not share your kid on Instagram. You got to like pull it back. And, you know, it's always a consideration of how much do I want to put my kid into the world before he has the agency to tell me whether or not he wants me to put him out into the world and has an understanding of what that actually looks like and what what the impact of that is, what the potential consequences are. So that was part of it. So anyway, so I bounced and now I'm back 
And so I'm posting, I'm on my personal profile, and already I'm so far down the rabbit hole of the spastic addiction where it just gets pulled out of my pocket and I start scrolling and then something catches my eye and then I'm looking at this tattoo artist and then I'm looking at this guy's sandwiches that he makes and then I'm looking at this thing and that thing and it's fucking exactly the reason why I got off in the first place. And so now what I need to do is figure out how I can still get on there to actually promote the podcast, but then get off there so that I don't get stuck in this loop that ultimately gives me like a little dopamine hit, but has so many downstream consequences to how I feel emotionally and brings about that like deep sadness and like existential dread that is low lying at first and then becomes all consuming. So that's where I'm at with social media. Okay. So a couple things. About a month ago, I went and visited a friend on her film set and we chatted for a little bit and she was asking me about the podcast and she said that her brother, who was really into the podcast, had reached out to her recently and been like, hey, I saw that your friend hasn't posted anything in in a long time. Is he okay? And I found that extremely endearing that he wondered after my well-being because I stopped posting podcasts. So I guess I just got to stay on the grind of this to make sure that everybody knows I'm okay. Another friend reached out since I started recording again and reminded me that I used to say I had an infantile bladder in high school and how that always stuck with her. (laughs) Now, another friend said that when he used to drink a lot of water, he would pee upwards of 15 times an hour and so he could really relate to my small bladder. Which then made me think that maybe I'm overblowing this and I've created this whole mountain out of a bladder molehill and maybe I don't actually need to urinate as frequently as I think I do. Someone also said that that they knew this thing was going to be good because I canceled myself in the first episode when I did an impression of someone. And so I'm trying to wrap my head around what that actually means. Because in the context of that story, I was just doing an impression because that's what the person sounded like. And I'm trying to understand if I can do impressions of anybody anymore. And like if context even matters or intent even matters, I wasn't mocking anybody or anything. So I guess it's like I can only do an impression of somebody when telling a story if that person sounds exactly like me. So it's kind of like we're hopefully heading towards a place where every piece of cinema that we make is just a documentary because people just need to play only themselves because they only know their own lived experience. And that's what acting is, is just portraying your own lived experience. But no, but back to the impression thing. It's still okay for people to be like, oh, I'm making the pizza like a Mario. And it's okay for somebody to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, talk like this and, and you know, do that whole thing. But, um, but my impression of somebody from a story will get me canceled, maybe. I don't know. Woo, we're on one today. We are on one today. Don't forget, rate me. <laughs> So one more thing before I get to the story of how I almost hit the other dad with a miniature golf putter the other day. I'm just kidding. I didn't almost hit him with a putter. 
come on, why would you even say that about me? Um, there's this neighbor guy next door. Okay, let me back up. So, I don't know, about a year ago, I was standing on the corner of my block, like leaning against like a stop sign pole. And I was talking to somebody on the phone and I was just like leaning there. I'd gone out for a walk and I just stopped and I was chatting and just literally standing there. And this woman who lives in the house on the corner who I've interacted with before, kids have actually like played with each other and she lives with her mom there too. I noticed that they popped out and they were looking at me and like I just kept carrying on my conversation. I think maybe I walked like 10 paces up and then walked 10 paces back. I mean, I was there for a little bit. I was talking on the phone. I was just hanging out. And so they popped out a couple times to look at me. And then when I started walking home towards my house, the kid's mother, the younger woman, started following me with a phone across the street. And she was, I don't know what she was doing. I was like, I stopped. I was like, I was off the phone at that point. I stopped. I was like, excuse me, can I help you? And she was like, no, it's okay. I'm just taking pictures of you so I can share. I was like, what? Now, mind you, she sounded exactly like me. So that's why I'm telling the story this way. So she's like, yeah, I'm taking pictures of you. There have been a lot of robberies in the neighborhood and you were standing out front of our house. And I was like, excuse me? I was like, our kids have played together. Meanwhile, I'm across the street hollering across the street. This one. Our kids have played together before. I live right here, this house right here next to the apartment building. And she just kept filming me, didn't say anything, and then went back to her house. And I was shook. Like it was, It felt like a real violation and it felt really intense to have somebody do that. So I can only imagine how a lot of other people feel walking around this world. But so anyway, so this one neighbor, he happened to be walking up the block as this was happening. And he was like, what was that all about? And I told him and I hadn't chatted with this guy before, but I had seen him coming in and out of the apartment building. He drives a black Jeep Wrangler. It's like very, a very distinct vehicle with Maryland plates. So we started chatting and I was like, you're from Maryland, huh? What brought you out here? And we were chatting and we just got friendly. And so I would see him over the next, you know, few months and we would chat here and there. So this is kind of like a counterpoint to my story about, you know, nobody being friendly out here, whatever I was trying to get at in a couple episodes ago. So, you know, Sam asked me about my new friend, you know, I was like, hey, he's from Maryland, you know, the whole thing. And she just joked around because I'm out there just meeting people on the street. And at one point recently, she was like, yo, I, th I think your friend must have moved. She's like, I haven't seen the Jeep around the neighborhood because we're always clocking what's going on in the neighborhood. It's this thing I get from my dad. You know, he'd always be looking out the window. He called it checking the perimeter. But he's always looking around outside in the neighborhood, seeing what's going on. And I can't help myself. I do the exact same thing. So anyway, Sam says this to me. And I was like, you think he moved and he didn't say anything to me? He would just leave like that? Like he wouldn't even say bye? You know, I'm moving somewhere else. So we, we kind of laughed and I thought about a scenario where, because I've seen him running around the reservoir before. I'm not a stalker. I'm just very observant. I've seen him running around the reservoir and I was thinking it would be fucking hilarious if I just like pulled over while he was running and like jumped out. And I was like, yo, man, did you move? Wait, I didn't even know what was happening. Why didn't you tell me? Like whatever. So anyway, so, <laughs> so I was pulling home from getting groceries and I look up and he's there and he's out, he's got his Jeep across the street and he was doing something. And I just, I opened up my gate and I just waited for him to wrap up. And I was like, yo man, I thought you moved. What's going on? He was like, not yet. He was like, we're actually looking to move probably soon. And and we just chatted for a bit. He complimented my glasses, which I appreciated. And he thanked me for saying hello. And 
you know, I guess there is another side to all these complaints that I have about, you know, people like there is a possibility for real human connection. And maybe I should just focus on putting my energy where it actually seems to pay off as opposed to just kicking rocks or whatever they would say. Is that what it is? Kick, kick dirt, kick rocks. I don't know. Or is that something that you say disparagingly to somebody regardless? Maybe I should just, you know, what, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Okay. So this is the story and this is difficult for me to talk about because it was really upsetting and I'm going to do my best to talk about it. Okay. So I took Louie to go play miniature golf yesterday and it's at a golf course. It's generally not very populated, which I like, and we're able to play through once. And then we skip the last hole because if you hit it into the cup on the last hole, it goes into some barrel. So, and you can't get your ball back. So we skip the last hole and we play through again. So, it happened last time where the second time around, he kind of gets more agitated as we're going if he's, you know, not able to get the ball in the hole as quickly as he, he would like to. So I can sense that this agitation is growing a little bit. And I mentioned it to him and I'm like, buddy, we can, you know, we can wrap up soon or whatever, whatever. And so I look behind us and I see that there's a dad with these two kids and they're moving pretty fast through the course. And I'm like, hey, buddy, when they get up to us, I'm going to let them play through. I'm like, that's kind of like a golf thing. You, you let somebody play through and this way you don't have to feel rushed and you don't hold people up. So he resisted. He was like, no, he's like, because he doesn't like people going ahead of him when it's not their turn. And I find that understandable. And he's very aware of line position. Like he is very aware of where he should be in line, where other people are in line and, and when they'll get to have their turn. I don't like people breathing down our necks. I like to relax and I want him to be able to take as many mulligans as he wants and not hold up the people that are behind us. So when they get up to us, I'm like, buddy, we're going to let them play through. And he resisted. He yelled a little bit. I picked up the ball and I talked to him and I was like, here's the reason why, whatever. So the dad, probably 10 or 15 years older than me with kids the same age as mine is looking at Louie, and then, and then he looks at me and he says, whoa, you got a crazy one, huh? And I was shocked to hear that. And I, I didn't know what to say, so I was like, ah, oh, yeah, he's, he's got a lot of energy. And he looked at him, and Louie's this beautiful, long, curly, blonde-haired boy with an immense amount of energy and lust for life that is an inspiration to me every single day. And he said, a hey, wild child, huh? And I just was silent and I stared at him. And then he looks at my kid who was wearing one alien patterned croc and one blue glittery shiny croc. And he said, hey, your shoes don't match, huh? And Louis was silent. And it was incensing to me. I spent the rest of our time on the mini golf course thinking of all the shit that I wanted to say. Fuck you, man. He's not crazy. Who the fuck do you think you are talking about my kid like that? I thought about just going up to him and hitting him with the fucking rental golf club that I had. 
I glared at him for the rest of the time that we were on the mini golf course. I muttered, cocksucker, under my breath as I looked at him. I asked Louie, I was like, what did you think when that guy said your shoes didn't match? He was like, he just shrugged. He was like, I took it as a compliment. I was like, great. And when we were leaving, I was like, hey, did you hear what that guy said when they were first passing by? And he was like, no, what did he say? And I was like, oh, no, he's just, you know, was thankful that we were letting him pass. I think what was most upsetting to me about that situation is that, and I know I've kind of made light of neurodivergence or at least said it in a way that could come across as mocking or whatever. When, when a term becomes popularized and in vogue, it can be a struggle for me to want to embrace it. But I am really grateful that there is such an awareness around neurodivergence in this day and age, because I think my kid's going to have a lot better shot than I did. He was diagnosed with ADHD a year ago, and it made me think about the time that I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was seven, eight, nine, something like that. And my mom refused Ritalin, and that was it. There was no, there was no therapy. There was no sort of, here's some tools to cope. It's also important for me to be very clear that I don't blame my mother for that at all. This was 1991, 1992. There wasn't this preponderance of information available about this. I don't want to call it a disorder, but about ADHD, there just wasn't a lot of information. She was like, fuck putting my kid on medication and that was kind of it. But she did the best she could with the information that was available to her at the time. Save something for the book, Nick! So anyway, in the years since Louis' diagnosis, it's really been an avalanche of me understanding the ways in which this neurodivergent brain that I have has caused me a lot of challenges. And I'm always afraid that people think I'm crazy. I'm always afraid that I'll be called crazy. And I'm upset about this perception about people who are like us. And this guy at the golf course with the audacity to say that to me and me just freezing because I didn't know what to say to him and didn't know how to stick up for my kid in that moment. Fuck that guy. So we were driving home from the golf course and, and we got off the highway and I put the windows down and the wind was blowing in his hair and he was kind of sh struck by how much his hair kind of blew back and I saw it in the rear view and he was like, whoa, that wind is intense. And I told him how amazing his hair is. I told him how amazing he is. I told him how much I love him. And he said, yeah, I'm an energetic, long-haired child. <laughs> and it was just a really beautiful moment that I got to share with my son. And I'm so grateful that I get to be here for him and be his dad and understand him so much and understand his lived experience and support every single step that he takes along the way. <laughs> Anyway, I think that's all I have for today. Um, like, 
subscribe, rate me, pay my cash app and my Patreon. Bye.